0: Well, good evening. Um, I'm going to start off with something a little bit different tonight. And it's going to be my ending to the service tonight. But I I need somebody to come up here and authenticate that this is liquid. Somebody come up here and just look at it. It can't be my family. They've already seen it. Come up here. And I'd like you just to look at this. And I'm going to swish it around here. And it is a liquid. It is jelly-like. And it moves, correct? You see it move? Okay. I just want to make that clear. It's going to come over and sit here. I'm not going to do anything with it. It's just going to sit. And then at the end of the service, I'm going to um, select one of you that is probably sleeping the most uh, throughout my sermon to come up and be the example um, for this. But um, my son had a birthday uh, this past Friday, and we had John Kleinmouse come and do a magic show, and we held it here, and so all these kids come, came up. I wasn't even thinking about this while he was doing the magic show. This is not magic, um, for those of you that saw that. So Tyler, don't get your hopes up, okay? But it is something that is a, uh, a neat picture uh, for where we're going to be tonight. I'd, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 119, and we're going to be in the second stanza of this psalm. Second set of eight verses, beginning with verse 9, is where we're going to be tonight. I'm going to start with verse 1, though, and read all the way through verse 16. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, Also, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways... May be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart, and I will learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utter- utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, and let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you for the time that we get to set aside again to look into your word to meditate on your truth, to love your law, to love the precepts and the, the intelligence and the, the 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 amazement in your words. And may they come alive in our lives, not just on these times where we meet together as a church or maybe we have uh, time you know set aside during the week, but that the words would be completely infused into our in our fabric, the fabric of our life so that everything we do is looked at and through that screen. I pray tonight that you would help the Holy Spirit to move and that we would learn some some truths that or maybe even just be reminded of the truths that, that are we already know. But perhaps we just don't practice and actually put them into our everyday living. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. We ask your spirit's presence here tonight and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, I went online and looked up an Amish uh, tradition that some of you may be aware of. I, I, I wasn't aware of this until recently, and I actually had a friend of mine that I went to, to high school with. Uh, his name was Mervin Koblenz and he grew up in the Pennsylvania area. Uh, I'm sure Tony knows of the Amish of the Pennsylvania. They're everywhere there. And his family was uh, Amish, and uh, his dad. And uh, when his dad, when Mervin's dad was was young. Um, uh, his mom and dad uh, got a electric washing machine and hid it in a closet. And those of you who know about the traditional Amish, what aren't they allowed to have? They're not allowed to have electricity. And so during the night, he 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 went to the corner uh, pole, the service pole, and and piped in a pipe. And it was because they had 13 kids. They you know mom was a little bit you know frustrated with the amount of laundry that they had to do, and uh, so. The dad thought, hey, listen, I'm a great carpenter. I'm going to build this wall to make it look like uh, it's a wall, but behind it was a washing machine. And they would do their clothes in the washing machine. Terrible sinners they were, according to the Amish. And so one day the preacher came around, and Mervyn's dad was uh, at home, and everybody else was in the field at the barn or working or something. And and it was customary for this guy, this preacher, to come around and, and talk to Uh, you know the individuals that would go to the church and the community and uh, he said um, he said well where's where's your mom and dad and he pointed them out to where they were and and, uh, he said what do do I hear and it was the the washing machine and uh, from what Mervin tells me now this is a high schooler telling me this uh, his dad was like nothing it's nothing you hear nothing Kind of like when our kids do something and they, you know, they've got chocolate all over their face, and what would you eat? Nothing at all. I just happened to get chocolate on my lips and cheeks and everything. Nothing. And so he entered their house and was checking things out, couldn't figure out where the noise was coming. It was coming from behind the wall. He exposed the wall and found the washing machine, and his family was immediately kicked out of the Amish. They landed in Phoenix, Arizona, interestingly enough. Don't know how that happened. But they were excommunicated from that, uh, that um, community. But the Amish have a tradition that happens around the 15 to 18-year-old mark where uh, kids get to go and, and have um, they, they make a choice, basically. There's common misconceptions about what this is, and it's called Rumspriga or rumspringa, something like that. I don't know the exact uh, the term or the pronunciation of this, uh, but the the idea is that these kids when they get to an age where they know what's what, they know what's right, what's wrong, they've seen it from their parents, they've seen it from everybody else, they make a choice and and they're encouraged not to get into heavy bad stuff but to walk out in the world for a, a little bit, could be up to a year, and decide for themselves if this is something that they would like to move away from or uh, that is the Amish, or they would like to remain and stay Amish. Now, most conservative uh, Amish, actually, they don't even let them out of their own community. They can just go around within their community. So it's not real, uh, you know, they don't get really exposed to anything in the world. But there's, there's other Amish uh, cultures where they, they will literally kick them out of their their compound, if you will, and off their farms, and you're going you're gonna to find your, your way. It comes down to they have to make a choice when they come back, and they all come back for the most part. They, they come back and they make a choice, whether they pack their stuff and leave for good or they stay for good. In this psalm, the psalmist, I believe is David, but I'll just say the psalmist, asks a question. I think every one of us has asked ourselves that at one point, uh, when we've come to the realization that we're sinners, that we're we're rotten on the inside. There's nothing that we can do to change that. And he says, how can a young, may, young man keep his way pure? How can you do that? There's big questions in life. And some of them, I, I, I just kind of, over the last two weeks, kind of thought about, what are the big questions in my life? And you, you may be able to add to this list, but some of mine, and I was thinking maybe more when I was younger. I have different major questions now, but uh, maybe this. What will I be when I grow up? Remember asking that to yourself as a young child? What what am I going to be? Sometimes you ask your dad or your mom or a friend. And then, of course, it always comes back with the guys, policemen, firemen, uh, girls. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, they would do, but some type of designer or something like that. They want to do something fun. Sometimes they say, I want to be a mommy. Okay. How about this? Who will I marry? You ever remember asking yourself that, guys, when you're uh, single? No prospects going, hmm, who am I going to marry? I wonder if I will get married. Where will I live in the future? I remember not having a clue where Green Bay was when I was, uh, I think, a seventh grader. Phoenix Cardinals were playing the Green Bay Packers and my dad said, hey, you know where Green Bay is? I said, I have no idea, Wisconsin. I said, I'll never live there. Will I be rich or will I be poor? How many kids will I have? When will my parents pass away? Ever asked yourself that question? Why am I here? What should I do with my life? What or how will I serve in the church? Questions that come to you that are like major dividing points of, of how you're going to go in, in your future. And Young people, let me just tell you something that is common in, in the Jewish culture that they would have somebody who is older and wiser teaching a group of young people. And this is the question that came out. How can a young man keep his way pure? And then the statement afterwards is very, very simple, but yet so complex by guarding it according to your word. What is it? What is it? Let me hear from you. What is it by guarding it. anybody have any answers? Less. How about this? How about we look back at what he prefaces and really what he goes through? This entire psalm talks about, and it's not necessarily meaning um, that they, none of these really really tie together. But what does he talk about in the first? Statement And actually, he talks about in or the first stanza, in the second stanza he does as well. He talks about this idea of law, of precepts, of truth, um, anything that ties to God's word. And I believe, and I, I, I think I have, have worked enough in this to know, it can mean several things here. But I think the psalmist is trying to provide for these young people who he is teaching and mentoring at this point, You must know and love God's truth, his law, his word. Okay? Let's see if that checks out with the rest of this this, uh, psalm. So in verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. So you have have to know that there's there's this earnestness that comes with this. Let me not wander from your what? Your commandments or your truth or your precepts. Then he says in verse 11, I have stored up your word, in my heart what does the uh, new king james have for that thy word have i hid in my heart i've hidden it in my heart well to me the word hidden is a good it's a it's a good word it's a good picture i i personally like the idea of what this does in the esv with the idea of storing up it's like preparing for a season that you know that's going to come that will come and you will have to do something with what you've stored up the problem is If you haven't stored anything up, you have nothing to go to as your resource. You have zero. You have zilch, and then you're left out to dry. So he says, all this that I might not sin or transgress against you. Well, let's look here at what this idea of guard, or in the New King James, it it says, take heed. Okay, I'm going to look at this for a second. Guard simply means to to keep safe from danger, to protect, or to watch over. What do you guard? Like, in, in everyday life, I'm not talking, don't be, don't be a Sunday school answer here yet. What do you guard in your life? What, outside, you leave these doors here tonight, what, what's the one thing that you're going to guard that you want to keep safe and keep watch over? What is it? For me, uh, kids, my house, uh, things that I have in my garage, although I can't really lock my garage, but, you know, I guard it as much as I can. What do you guard? What do you guard? Okay, your schedule, your time. Good. What else? What else do you guard, you watch over constantly? Your schedule? Social media, your job? Yeah, absolutely, your employment. Things that mean something to you, right? You don't put any effort to guard anything of, in your neighbor's yard. You don't guard your neighbor's schedule. You don't care about that because it, it, it doesn't matter to you. It's not something personal. Personal. But in, in this text, to guard, and then let me say, okay, what is, what is the idea of take heed? It's the same concept, but it's a little bit different in that take heed has some root words around it that I think give it more, uh, maybe a little bit more um, girth to it. It says to listen or to pay attention, to focus, to rivet, to center, to concentrate. So when you read this, In context, and you say by guarding it or heeding it according to your word, there is an intensity that comes along with this statement. So how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, by focusing on it, by centering on it, by making every possible um, offense against what's going to come in or potentially come in to ruin it. To keep safe from danger. To focus, to rivet, to center, to concentrate. If we do all these things with God's word, what does your heart look like? Man, it's going to be a whole lot cleaner than if you hadn't. Verse 10 says this, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I mentioned uh, the the first time I, I preached on this that the idea of whole heart is littered throughout this uh, psalm, this particular psalm, which identifies really uh, something about the author. And whether it was David or somebody else, there was this this known, it was this constant that God needed to be there, needed to be inside him so that with his whole heart, he was able to do what he even says in some of these passages. So, okay, you've got this whole heart thing and you're going to guard it with your whole heart. What does that look like in your life? If you were to take God's word, your Bible, the truth that you have in your electronic device, how do you guard that? How do you make that so that nothing can get at that, so that you have it stored up in your life and that you can use it and the resource that it needs to be when you are challenged or you're tried in some type of situation? Well, that, it's kind of hard because uh, there are distractions in life. And I think there's two kinds of distractions. There's an intentional distraction, and there's unintentional distractions in life. Intentional, by this I mean things we put our attention on that distract from an important task. So it's something that you may have a hobby of or something that you really enjoy. So when you come home, it's the first thing you do. It's the thing that you really want to do. And maybe it's rest. Maybe it's a hobby of some type. Maybe it's something that, you know, you you have to get together with a group of people to do. I don't know. But what is that intentional thing that you do that just takes away time from what you should be doing? I don't know. It's different for everybody. Absolutely different for everybody. And then there's an unintentional. And I'm going to, let me, well, let me just discuss intentional for one more second here. Um, On Saturday, uh, Amber on, on our door Uh, has this chalkboard thing, and uh, she listed out chores for all of us to do. And uh, we have a lot of things coming up here in the next week, and so we have to get a lot of things done, and we're in the process of doing a lot of cleaning out and getting rid of some things. And uh, so she had chores for all of us, and even the kids had stuff to do. And so you bring the kids in, and you're like, okay, here's your stuff, here's your list of things to do. And then the immediate reaction is the intentional distraction, like, all of a sudden, the injury that happened, like, three weeks ago starts to immediately hurt. Oh, my ankle. It's just killing me. Oh, man. I can't. You were just, like, on your scooter for, like, 25 minutes out there. No problems. It's now hurting. Okay. Um, all right. Annika, you need to clean your room. You've got these things to do. <laughs> I should probably do my homework. What? Like, when do you ever do your homework? I know, you didn't do that. I'm just making an example, okay? But you did do a couple of other things I can bring up if you really want me to. Uh, Whatever it is, we find an intentional thing that takes our uh, uh, attention off of what the task is, and we make that the biggest issue, and all of a sudden, we can't do what we were supposed to do. We are so burdened with that intentional misattention. We do that all the time. And then there's another category where we have unintentional distractions. And by unintentional distractions, usually I I look at this as kind of like where temptation comes in. You're doing the right thing. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, boom, something hits right in front of your eyes. And you're like, oh, boy, choice, choice. Okay, I could do this. And then the justification of all the things that you could get done, except, you know, you really need some time for yourself or it could be a very sinful thing, and you could really drop into that bad portion of sin, and, and you have this choice, and it's unintentional. Some things just come up and they hit you, and you just, like, what in the world? I, did, I wasn't expecting that, and all of a sudden you find yourself deep. Unintentional temptations, things that we stumble upon that hook us before we even know what happened. Reminds me of a, a gentleman who, uh, I, when I was in Phoenix, there was only one lake that was nearby and um, we, we would go to this lake every once in a while with a guy that, his name was uh, Charles, and Charles would take us on, and he had a boat. He was very well-to-do, and uh, not many people in Arizona have boats because there's no water, and uh, so he had one, and so he would take my dad and I once a year, and we would go to this lake, Saguaro Lake, and we would fish for catfish, and he would go to the store and buy these, like, shrimp, frozen shrimp, and he would put them all in our lines, and he would—he would, you know—we'd fish, and we'd fish all night. It was the coolest thing because I got to stay up all night, and we'd be in the middle of this lake, dead still, perfect moon, and of course it's warm out, so you don't have a problem with that. And we would fish. However, uh, Charles—he—he would—he would only fish, and only allow anybody in his boat that was fishing with him to fish with a barbless hook. I'd never heard of a barbless hook before. I always had the hooks that had all those little jabs in it so that once you caught the fish, it was not coming off your hook. That's the only fish I can catch because I have to either trap it or bite at the store in order to get it. I just, I, And he had these barbless hooks, he would throw it in there, and it was a challenge to bring the fish in because if the fish had a barbless hook in it, any, any movement of the fish could release itself, and there goes the shrimp, and there goes, a, you know, a fat catfish, and then we have no fish to, you know, to hang out with and eat and, you know, be a proud of. Well, I wonder if maybe sometimes that the unintentional temptations, if, if we are barbed, in other words, we, we let Satan hook us with barbed hooks, so once the temptation's there, it's like, oh, I'm not getting out of this. I'm just going to go indulge myself and be done with it. Well, potentially, what we should be is looking at a bless hook, knowing that we've stored up God's truth. It's in our hearts. So that when the temptation comes, distraction, unintentional, and it's there, it's not even a question. It doesn't have power over us. It can't hook us. Because... We don't have the barb that will stick us in that hook so that we can be traveled away into the things that we shouldn't be messing with. The idea here that I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And as I look at this, um, Levi the other day asked me, this is verse 11, uh, asked me, has anybody ever memorized the whole Bible, the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament? I'm like, I, maybe, I don't know. That's a lot of memorization. In the Old Testament, some of the requirements were to memorize the law and and have that. Um, But the entire Bible, I I don't know. And uh, it raised some thought in my mind as I was thinking about this passage. uh, Man, what what do I have memorized of it? I say I love the Bible, I love God, but what do I have memorized of it? What is your appreciation of this uh, verse? In verse 11, I have stored up my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's your appreciation for, the, for God's words? Is it something that's just kind of there? And every once in a while you dabble in it, you touch it, you go to your quick reference, get your devotion for the day emailed to you and you read through it and you're boom, done with it? Just kind of there? Could this be an answer to the uh, path maybe that you've chosen? Meaning a path of destruction, path of worldliness, path of I just don't really care, instead of a path that is just nothing but godliness and and God-driven? Could this be a simple answer to life's problems? He starts out and says, How can a young man keep his way pure? Notice he didn't list a bunch of things. Don't do this, 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 and you'll be pure what does he say? He says, guard truth. Love God's word. Store it up. Put it in your heart so that when you're tempted, whether intentionally you walk into it or unintentionally, you can walk away unscathed because you've got that store of God's word and his power that can just unleash on that and you can be done with it. Let's go to verse 12. He gives a blessing and, and kind of transitions here and says, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. I think this is a good litmus test for you and me as we go through our day, go through our week, stress comes on us, bills come, hardships come, kids aren't doing what they're supposed to do, we're, we're you know, just in the normal week of, of same-o, same and he's the first words out of your mouth when difficulty comes, a verse where it just inspires you and brings joy and the power of God into your life? Or is the storehouse of what you've put in your life, God's word, so closed off that if you were to go and try to find a verse that would help you deal with the things and scenarios that are going on right now, you would have to unlock a whole bunch of closets, work through a bunch of mess to get to that. That's what he's saying here. And by the way, this is not, Calvin in Calvin his commentary did a good job of explaining the fact that even though this may have been written and said in front of a, a young crowd, this is not for a young crowd. This is for an everyday person, no matter how old you are, no matter if you have one breath in your life or not, it is for you. Because every day you get to make a choice. Every day you have to make a decision whether I'm going to love God and love his word and enthrone myself into his precepts and just dive into that or the opposite. I'm just going to close God's word. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to meditate it because I don't have time. That's not an excuse we find anywhere in scripture, let alone Psalm 119, what we're going through. The litmus test is do you just blast off the front of your lips something about praising God because it's stored up in your life, in your heart? You're bubbling over, and that's the first thing that comes out when you get into situations. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Is that what shows up? Verse 14 In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Now this brings another interesting facet into it, because not only does he tie it to just the storing up, but then he says, with riches, he equates it with riches. Several times in this text you'll see, as we go through each each of these stanzas, that every once in a while he brings up the idea of money. Well notice this, in verse 14, in the way of your testimonies I delight. He finds happiness, he finds resolve and contentment as much as in all riches. He doesn't say, I have all riches, therefore I I love your testimonies and I delight in you. It's the fact that he is looking at riches and looking at God's word and saying, God's word's so much more valuable than all riches. Here's Levi's question to me as we went home Wednesday night. Dan, do you make a lot of money? Remember asking me that Wednesday night? You don't? Okay. I promise he did. I said, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, how, do, how should I answer this? How? And my mind went several directions. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, do other people make more than you? Yes. But, and then I proceeded to tell him that the, the life I have chosen and the life I have chosen our family to take is not based on how much I will put in my checking account or savings account, 401k, retirement, or any of those things, because God has, has not called me to do that. He's not given me that role, and I'm okay with that. He gave me a gut check. Because there are times where I think I should go make some money. I would like to put siding and windows in my house. I would like new carpet. I would like a van where the doors work always when they're supposed to. I say that because it was... Anyway, there was something that happened on Saturday night that was humorous, that the doors were doing like a dance without me doing anything. I would like those things. But as I drove home, and we're sitting on Division and Park, heading home, I thought to myself, looking at all these bigger houses, I'm thinking, what do I like more? What do I want more? Do I want riches over God's word? Am I going to lead my family in that regard and say, yes, go for the big bucks, but forget God's word? I would be doing opposite, the absolute opposite of what Psalm 119, 9 through 16 is trying to impart to a young mind and even to an older one. No, how do you keep your way pure? You delight in God's word so much more than is more valuable to you than any dollar bill you can put your hands on. Does that mean you don't work? No, you work. You work hard. But you don't look at that as your success. You don't look at that as, look, I've arrived, I've made it. It's taken me years to come to that settling in my heart. And it's not ever, ever over. The struggle is always there. So Levi's question, do you make a lot of money? yes. But my reward's in heaven. Where's yours? Is it in all the things that you're going to have, all the plans you're making? That's good. Fine. Make them. But if you cherish that more than God's word, the simple answer is that's wrong. That's wrong. It's not what God has for you. It's not what he's called us to do. Verse 15, I'm going to go quickly because I want to end with this and end on time. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This seems like a great mission statement, if you ask me. A great mission statement for a family. A great mission statement for an individual. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And believe it and do it. What a mission statement. What an absolute glorious thing to be able to say, when you stand before God in glory, I did that to the best of my ability. It was your power that helped me do that, but I did not walk away. Thank you for not walking away from me, God. As we think about um, what it means to meditate on God's word, there are some interesting things or interesting ways that um, I, I thought about making application of this. Um, I teach science, and so I like to do goofy things and mess with things. And sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't. And um, it's funny when when they don't work. My students let me know about it. They they pretty much laugh at me, and they're like, "What are you doing? You're our teacher. It doesn't even work." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, it did at one time. I I had it going." Um, this is what I'm gonna what I'm gonna demonstrate is that. Um, what, give me your name. Is it Nick? Jake. Jake. All right. I haven't seen you guys for a long time, so I've got your your whole everything just changed. Anyway, um, so you you saw that this was a liquid substance, okay? So if if this is a liquid substance, if I if I punch it, things are going to go everywhere, right? Okay, so let's just try this for a second. You said it was a liquid. It was okay. Right. Now I have some splatter going, okay, but it's a solid. I mean, it's it's really solid. Let me let me try to give you an idea of what I think Psalm one nineteen six through nine or six, nine through sixteen is trying to impress on not just a young person's heart but on everybody's life. Is that if you approach God's word as just an impulse, like, I'm just going to touch it every once in a while. It, it just bounces off, and you don't get the real full effect. Nothing happens, okay? But if you put your hand in this thing, I have to support it with my, uh, my knee here, and let it just work, the actual the heat of my hand is causing a little endothermic reaction. And what's happening is my hand is swallowing up into this solid. It feels like paste. And as I keep going, if I keep pressing and keep kneading and keep pushing and keep just, just I mean, absolutely throwing myself into this thing and pushing hard, what happens is this whole thing covers my entire hand. I'm probably not going to be able to do it here because it's going to take a few, few more minutes and I don't have that time. And then what happens is when it gets all the way over your hand, you can literally pick it up. Now, how? If I am a Christian that just does this to God's word, and I'm just there every once in a while, and I don't let his word just, uh, I mean, get into my heart and soak into my life so that I store up his word, That verse is memorized by every kindergarten and every Christian school everywhere. So why, when we get to adults, don't we let it do that?